This is my This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Hey guys, Trey here with The Comeback. Just sitting here reflecting on 2021 and what an incredible year it was. All of the stories of inspiration on the podcast, the tears that were shed, the thousands of people who were impacted. We took a little bit of time to put together our very best, and we wanted to share it with you. Check this out. Because I had made the decision. I had, I had I had done all the Catholic checks box things um, in my faith. I had done... I had said the sinner's prayer multiple times, whether it was a, a TV pastor or a Chick-fil-A devotional. I mean, I'd done all these checkbox things, but it wasn't in my heart. I knew Jesus in my head. I knew God was in my head my whole life, but he was always very distant. I had not surrendered him as Lord. And we literally opened up Proverbs, and I realized it was it was probably Proverbs 3, but I honestly don't remember the scripture we were reading. And it was like the Spirit just said, Carl, you don't know me as Lord. So that night, I went home, and this was September 2007. Um, actually, we're a couple of days away from that anniversary. I think it was the 10th. Wow. Um, I got on my knees, and it was part of the third step of AA, where we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. And that's when I surrendered. I said, all right, God, you've got my life. This is it. I'm surrendering to you. Um, and then from there, um, just started becoming very willing to take advice from whomever would give it to me. We had over $100,000 in unsecured debt. Um on top of you know typical car and mortgage notes, because um, I had wrecked I had wrecked our finances in my addiction. Um, I weighed 250 pounds, had 42 inch waist, so I was massively overweight from all that beer I was drinking. So I started losing weight and getting in shape. We started going to Hebron that Christmas Eve, um, and just God really started tra- turning our life around. I was going to lose everything. February, I'd had a we had a grandbaby born in December, and uh, my precious daughter-in-law. You know, I'm sitting there, and they're all talking about getting a car seat for their car. I said, "Yeah, I need to get one of those." I'd had a drink or two, and I, you know, it wasn't bad. I wasn't bad. I could do things that I didn't. And she's sitting there, and she goes, "Till you get your drinking under control," she said, "She'll never get in a vehicle you're driving," and that was the moment. And I'd made up my mind at that point that I've got to get some help. Had some things I had to get in order before I could get, you know, had some things I had to do. I had to get a production loan so I could farm. We'd talk to you. I don't know who talked to you. I have no idea. All I knew is that good landing will take you. And uh, that's where May the 8th, I headed that away. Yeah. You know, I think to hear the the pressures of of owning your own business, running a farm, family, you know, thinking through all of that of, you know, what's going to be said, but then your daughter-in-law, you know, really having the courage to to say something in a way that, you know, actually hits you in the heart of saying this is this is real. Right. Um and it's affecting potentially generations to come and and your influence and impact on them. But at the same time, how, how many other millions of people you know, have something similar said, but instead of making the step to do what's necessary, decide, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and keep drinking. They'll come up with the false narrative. The whole world's against me. Nobody understands me. 
self-pity, 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 all the way to a premature grave. But the truth was is that you said, hey, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It's gone this far and no more. And you did what was necessary. Right. I want to talk about the millions of guys that are all over the country that may or may not listen to, to this episode but, but, but need to about what that looks like when you decide, hey, I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to go to somewhere that is outside of your comfort zone and do the deal. We, you know, that initial when you decide I'm fixing to go somewhere, you know, and it was my, it wasn't, you know, everybody begging me to go, you know, that that's a big deal too. When you know for yourself, I've got to have some help, but you're still going, when you make that step, I'm going to recovery. It's like I'm going and there's no looking back. It's great to make money. It's great to help people. It's great to, to, to do a lot of these things. But when you get to watch somebody that has an opportunity that I was given, you know, I had a gentleman that yoked me up out of Applebee's and gave me a job and helped me to, you know, expunge my record and saw something in me that I literally cannot see in myself. And without him and without him seeing whatever it was that he saw, I would not be here today. I, 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 I'm positive of that. So being able to pay that forward in such a way where, listen, they don't all work out, but the ones that do is enough drive for me to keep doing these types of things because it's those relationships and you can really identify you know, how, how one decision so long ago can vastly affect the life trajectory of not only myself but all the people that it affects. Yeah. It becomes flabbergasting. You know? It doesn't become real to even think about. And it's moments like that where I know the God of my understanding is present because I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Doesn't happen often that I get it, but when I do, it's a really nice feeling because it's all those things that happen, the trials, the tribulations, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, um, to know that it happened for a reason and to watch some of these experiences. And this relationship's no different. You know, we met on very, what, bizarre circumstances at the, mm-hmm. at the facility out there in Riverdale and, you know, it turned into a great relationship. And, you know, I take zero credit for what you guys did here. I'm glad that I was able to help, but it's, and it's humbling to hear nice things about yourself, but you guys did this. And, and what I see here is, is something so amazing. And to watch the growth that you guys have experienced is, is quite incredible and it helps so many people. And it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, it was the best three months of my life. It really was. I think I told you in my speech, it's the most comfortable I've ever been, I've ever been because I've got a family, i got work, i got so many people depending on me. I could finally focus on me. I had three months to focus on me and get myself right, and it was just awesome. That's incredible. That is a, that's, a, that's a big deal. And, I, you know, I think, too, I mean, people are going to hear this podcast all over the nation. And, and I can't even even imagine what the number is of of guys, of dads, husbands that that are sitting in the same place that you were and know that there's more. There's more that they can get out of family. There's more that they can get out of life. You know, t- talk a little bit about, you know, to get to that point where you actually had to make the decision. You know, we live in a small town, Clarksdale. I mean, everybody knows that that, that just, you know, people love to talk and right. they love to try to figure out what, you know, what yeah. they can gossip about or whatever. Right. And still living in that environment of saying, hey, it's worth it that I've got to make make some big, bold moves to be able to reposition myself. And Yeah. I've never looked at rehab as a stigma. Yeah. You know, I just haven't. If you, you know, if you have a cold, you go to the doctor. If you have a drinking problem, you go get help. And 
you know, I just, I'm proud of it. You know, I got my diploma. I don't, you hadn't been to my house, but my wife framed it and it's on my living room counter. You know, I'm Come proud on. of putting in the three months and I'm proud of going through what I did. I have a six-year-old granddaughter that I got to where I was spending time drinking when family stuff was going on, like my wife and kids and granddaughter, and I should have been with them, and I knew that, but alcohol was just taking over my life and becoming more important. Yeah, It's just what I felt like I had to do, no different than going to the doctor. I wanted to get help, and I got help. Yeah. So... That's the way to look at it, right. and it should be. Yeah, I mean, that, there's really no other way to to look at it and to attack it. And I think that's why you got freedom. You know, it's it's one and done. It, you know, you you have um, regained what God has given you and and taken hold of that. And I think when people can have that mentality and not be confused about. Um, the condition that they're in, not being in denial of being able to see that early on of saying, hey, this doesn't get better. I know that just one day magically I'm just going to wake up and everything's going to be like right. it used to be. It's going to get worse. Then you make that decision. And I think even now, you know, just sitting here as you were talking of your willingness to take time out of your day whenever I know you have a million things that are going on to say, I'm going to tell my story because I know this is our greatest weapon that as other people hear this, that they're going to be able to find hope and say, Hey, I can, I can take those same steps that Greg took. Yeah. But she stopped when she was done and she looked me dead in the eye. And I'm the only person that she actually spoke to that day. She looked me dead in the eye and she said, he is real. You never have to doubt that. And then she went to the next person and, um, my life changed that day because I knew that I knew that I knew that he was real and that he had met me where I was at, that I had all this doubt that, you know, and I had just prayed that prayer maybe five days ago. Nobody knew that. The minister didn't know that. Only me and God knew that. And um, so the following week, I actually stood up and, um, you know, uh, gave my life to the Lord, you know, and and announced that in church. And but my struggle wasn't over after that. I um, I still battled with um, with addiction. I I still wanted to. I still thought that maybe I could use every now and then. And that's why, in my opinion, it's so important for once you you do make that profession of faith that you get into a good church. Um, you get a mentor, somebody that can can help you just through all all the mess that's that's still there that you need to deal with. B- because you know, I I still had those thoughts, I still had those cravings, and I and I was still just learning about God and what He could do for me in in my life. And so it was very easy for me to talk myself back into being able to use every now and then. Mm-hmm. And um, that's exactly what I did. I ended up uh, relapsing, and when I I relapsed that time, um, I ended up I went back to jail, and this time I was in probation on probation in another state as well, in the state of Florida. And due to my violation in Georgia, Florida violated me, and Florida ended up sending me to prison. So I'd just gotten out of prison in Georgia. I mess up again. Um, and Florida sends me to prison. And I was, 
I was fortunate enough to get into this program in Florida called the Joy Program, and um, there was amazing volunteers, and I just spent the whole entire time that I was in prison um, just focusing on God, um, taking classes, um, just trying to, to, to walk it out and get my life back together. Right. Going to California and getting the Air Force finally was some structure for him. And uh, I thought everything was going to be great. And he would be off drugs forever and go to the Air Force for four years or so and and uh, be okay. But much to my chagrin, when he was down there, the first whatever he was there, he got a DUI. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, now he's going to be discharged from the Air Force with a dishonorable discharge. And I said, this is not good at all. He met a sergeant, I believe, down there that really kind of took up with Trey and uh, told him, he said, there could be a way out of you being able to stay in the Air Force and not be uh, kicked out for your DUI if you just follow my instructions and do this. And this guy was really a good Christian sergeant down there that took up with Trey, started going to Bible studies and... um, they had these little people's houses they'd go to in the garage and everything, and there'd be 15, 20 guys over there, and, and they'd all be praying and, and having just real good testimonies and, and reading Scripture. And it was, a, it, was, it was a great time right there with Trey. In fact, one of the things he had to do was he had to do a, a reenactment of his DUI charge there and showed police coming to pick him up and what can happen when you're in the Air Force or somewhere, uh, you get caught drinking or drugging. And they arrested him and, and cuffed him and took him back to jail and showed him inside the jail cell. And this was all a reenactment of what he had done that night that he got caught. And they used this as a training video for other recruits there to, to tell them, you know, what can happen to you when you get in trouble with the law like that. It was really, really good. But it was so... Uh, it's it really was, interesting about that, too, is that they did a story, and like you said, the documentary, mm-hmm. and they were getting ready to push it out Air Force-wide to several mm-hmm. hundred thousand people, and it ended up going right. to the Secretary of the Air Force Public Affairs Office, which I believe was in New York at the time, mm-hmm. and the office was split because they felt like it had too much Jesus in it and eventually mm. um, decided to not send it out. But I think they used it at Vandenberg just there at that base for a while and cut it up. But, uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. I mean, there was Master Sergeant Howell, the first sergeant, who uh, would eventually become a chief, and there was the command chief master sergeant there at the time, too, that really believed in me. And that, that was a huge part of, you know, him just – recognizing leadership, knowing that I had failed, that I was the one that got the DUI. And a lot of people might be hearing this and thinking, what's the big deal about a DUI? And it's just a really big deal in the military now. And they frown upon it, and they spend so much effort and time and energy to make sure that they don't happen on base so that whenever you do get one, I mean, I remember having to get up and give a public apology, and it's normally the end of somebody's military career whenever they mm-hmm. when they get a DUI. But uh, God stepped in and did what... Only he can do and transform my life and put favor on my life. And it, it was a uh, just a, a profound, incredible time of change. And then I remember my dad coming out there. Let you tell that part. Well, that's 
you know, kind of part of my testimony, too. I won't go into it a long time because we're talking about Trey tonight. But uh, he had gotten saved, like you said, in July of 05. I was going through some things in my town. Uh, about going to church, I was getting all emotional. Something was happening. Needless to I know that the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and he was convicting me. And I was under conviction there for about three or four weeks. And then Trey called me and said, Dad, you got to come out here and see this. He said, I'm going to all these uh, Bible studies and uh, praying and reading Scripture and talking about the Lord. And he said, this is just a, a, a great time in my life, and I want you to come out here and be a part of it and see what's going on. And I did. And I went out there, and uh, I told Trey what had been happening to me back in Clarksdale. And uh, I knew that I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that he was working in my life. I thought I'd been saved all these years. I walked the aisle in in a little town called Sardis, Mississippi, when I was seven years old. And I thought I was saved, and I was just pleasing my parents and my pastor. This went on until I was 60 years old. When Trey got saved, I remember when I came out there and I got back and I went to my pastor's study on December the 4th and I told him that all these years I thought I'd been saved, but I wasn't, and that I wanted to really give my life to the Lord and get baptized. And then Trey had already given his life to the Lord. And on January the 1st, which was on a Sunday in 2006, Trey and I both were baptized in the same baptismal with our pastor, Ed Lawrence, there at Clarksdale Baptist Church. And that was the beginning of the of a new era in both of our lives. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.